0: You'll open your Bibles to Psalm eighty-one. Psalm eighty-one. This is another Psalm of Asaph, and we saw Asaph over really the since about Psalm seventy-three writing these psalms. and the last two were particularly pleased concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. The Desire for Deliverance and for the Son of Man, a Messianic title, to come and bring them salvation. And um, now we, we come into Psalm 81, and, and this uh, is a call to worship. And I think that's the, the intention here, is, is a call to the congregation of Israel to return back to God. And that would fit the backdrop of the other psalms leading up to this point, Uh, amidst the the wickedness and the destruction that's taken place because of the people's sins, uh, now Asaph uh, stands back and says, you know, it's it's time to do something. It's time for us to act and respond uh, and come back to God. Psalm 81 is unique, however, that what you read about uh, really are the words of God. While Asaph opens this psalm in, in the few early verses, we will see God himself speaking uh, for the majority of the psalms. So so watch for that change to take place as we go through the reading this, this evening. Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre of a harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of, of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree over, in Joseph, When he went out over the land of Egypt, I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of of your burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There is no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to, to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward me, and their fate would last forever." But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with the honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. All right, so we begin, we, we start off then with a, with the call for worship, and uh, interesting what what exists in these in these first three verses. You have this, I believe, a breakdown in the first three verses of the various uh, participants and worshipers in the congregation. The first verse, I think a cry to the whole congregation, uh, a declaration to, to all of them, say, let's, let's shout for joy, let's sing. Now, in verse 2, you have raise a song, sound the tambourine, uh, use the harp. And that, I believe, probably fits with the, with the Levites who did that in the temple worship. And so uh, you have to the whole congregation, let's get ready to sing, let's shout for joy. Uh, to the Levites, okay, you, are you ready? The singers and musicians, you get ready for, for our worship. And verse 3, then a call to the priests. You have the calling for the blowing of the trumpets. That was an act that they would perform. It says there at the end of verse 3 that this was going to be at the full moon or at the, and at the new moon on our feast day. That probably sets us at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's kind of funny. On Sunday morning we've been spending some detailed information about uh, how the Jews dealt with the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's when the new moon would typically take place was right around the Feast of Tabernacles. And there were a lot of festivals that took, took place in that seventh month. And that might be the reason why Asaph right here is saying let's get ready to worship God because look at all the things that we're going to be remembering. We have, of course, the New Year Festival at the very beginning of the seventh month on the first day. Then you had the Day of Atonement on the tenth day. Then you had the Feast of Tabernacles beginning on the fifteenth day, and that lasted for a whole week. And so Asaph, I think, is just kind of bringing Israel together and saying, all right it 's time it 's the new moon it's, it 's time for us to to remember these festivals, so let 's get ready to worship God. I think that's just a general start. Now verses four through seven uh, really are just a, a statement by Asaph of as we come together to worship god let 's remember all the things that God has done, and that was the purpose of those feasts and tabern- feasts of tabernacles and all those festivals. Uh, and sacrifices and acts of worship that God had required of the people uh, was to remember all the things uh, that that God had done, and so uh, you have a, a, a reminder then of let's think of all the things that, that God has done, and that's what verse four uh, you have for is a statute for Israel, a rule of, of God of Jacob when he made a decree in Joseph. When he went out over the land of Egypt. So here is a statement of remember the Passover as God went over Egypt. Remember the great acts of deliverance that God had performed. In verse 6, remember how God and God began speaking in verse 6. I think that's why at the end of verse 5 says, A language I had not known is, here's, the, here's Asaph transitioning and saying, God's now going to talk the rest of the way. And that's when God begins to speak in verse 6. And He says, remember how I relieved your burden. Relieved the burden from your shoulder and your hands from the basket. Remember how you were enslaved in the forced labor and the harsh labor uh, that you endured while you were some slaves in Egypt. Verse 7, in distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And I put up on the screen here uh, what I think is going on with the secret place of thunder. That's an awfully unusual uh, phrase to say. And it says, you know, here's here's what I did for you. You cried out in distress. I answered you with with thunder. I think it's a reference to the time of, of, of Mount Sinai. If you remember Mount Sinai... Uh, Exodus chapter 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered in thunder. Chapter 20, you remember, God speaking the Ten Commandments before all the people, and that was the sound of a loud trumpet and a thunder sound before all the people. So terrifying was the sound, that's when they told Moses, you know, have God not talk to us anymore. We prefer you to go up on the mountain and talk to God. You tell us what He says. And that might be what's being recalled here, is remember the Exodus, remember your deliverance from Egypt, remember what God did for you, remember the power of God at Sinai, remember the thunder and how the Moses, excuse me, how the mountain shook and was on fire and smoking, remember what God did in all these things. And then the end of verse 7 continues, I tested you at the waters of Meribah, if you remember, that's while they're moving through the wilderness. Uh, the people are rather concerned. We have no water. We have nothing to drink. And that's uh, when, when Moses strikes the rock and water comes forth from that rock. Uh, giving the people water and so all of these just a reminder you've been in distress remember how God delivered you remember in these difficult times how, how God brought salvation and that would fit from what we looked at in Psalm 79 and 80 where we saw this picture of, of desolation and destruction coming upon Jerusalem and here now uh, a call to the people remember God remember how he can deliver you and remember how, what all the good things that God has done for you and so uh, that's, that's Asaph's call call in this worship as we come together for the Feast of Tabernacles and the Day of Atonement. Remember the Exodus. Remember how you were slaves in Egypt. Remember how harshly you were treated there. Remember how God led you out with a mighty hand. Remember Mount Sinai. Remember what Moses did in the wilderness and he brought manna and brought water from a rock. And so remember these great acts that God has done. And that then I think sets the tone of what now when you have God stepping in here and saying, now I have some things I want to tell you. And I don't know how this worked out. I, I kind of wonder if you know you can kind of hear Asaph gathering all the people and God said, let me tell you something. You know, let me tell you what's going on right now. That's the way this, this seems to sound, Is if, all right, now Now God has a message to the people that He wants you to, to, to understand. And really, the overriding message is, is listen. I have some things to say to you. I want you to listen to me. And notice how that is in verse 8. Uh, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. And then notice the end of verse 8. If you would but listen to me. What, what a great plea here by God. If you would just listen to the things I'm trying to tell you. I have some really important things, Israel, but you're not listening. You don't, you don't care about my words. You're not hearing the things that, that you need to hear. I'm trying to admonish you, as the beginning of verse 8 says. So listen to the things that I have to say. In verse 9, then, it's just a reminder of the covenant. Verse 9, there should be no foreign or strange gods among you. You should not bow down to, to, to foreign gods. And so, uh, really, that would be a reminder of those Ten Commandments, a reminder of the law of Moses. A call to the people: Obey the covenant that was set before you. Do not neglect it. And we know historically that's exactly what they had done, and why you have God calling out, "Listen to me. Listen to my words. Listen to my commands." And He gives a reason why. Notice what He uses there in uh, verse 10: "I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt." And he says, "This. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it." Oh, that is a, a great sense. If you would just listen, as God says, if you just listen to what I have to say, if you would follow my commands, you'd put away these strange gods, I'd open your mouth and fill it. You'd be have the blessings of God. God is saying, I want to take care of you. I want to give you prosperity. I want to give you the, 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 the good tidings. I want to, to be your God and, and take care of you and give you everything that you need. If you would just simply obey If you just simply listen to my commands, if you'd hear these things and follow the covenant, you'd open wide your mouth and I would fill it up. You would have everything that you need, everything that that you're lacking. I'd, I'd be willing to take care of you. And that is certainly the picture of the Old Testament is what Moses gave him those commands of the blessings and the curses. If you'll obey God, God will take care of you. He'll give you the land. You'll never be removed. But if you disobey, if you violate the covenant, the promise was made that they would be destroyed, they'd be removed off the land. And that's what's going on here is God saying, remember, I want to take care of you, but you need to do the things that I have asked. Verses 11 and 12 is the unfortunate response of the people. Uh, you have the statement that really the people are going to rebel. Uh, the, the people... Uh, are not going to listen. And, and it's interesting that, that God even describes that quite plainly. This is not a, an open-ended plea before all of Israel to say, you know what, what now what are you going to do? The choice is yours. Decide uh, what you're going to do. Uh, he knows the answer. And that's what, what verse 11 says. My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And, and what a, a fascinating problem is to be able to tell the people of God, to tell the people of Israel, I'd take care of you. If you you, you listen to me and you'd obey me, I, I would pour blessings upon you. I'd take care of you and I'd provide for you. But but you're unwilling to, to listen. You're unwilling to put away your gods. You're unwilling to submit. And so you see the difficulty, and that's what verse 12 is. What's God going to do about it? Well, will God make the people obey? Well, what should God do with the people? And notice the language that's used here. And he says, Verse 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Uh, What's God going to do here? Is God going to step in and intervene and and make us do what we ought to do? Is he going to step in and cause us to do what what God knows what we ought to do? And we know what we ought to do. And so God's going to do something about it. Passing language here in the Old Testament. God says, "I, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. And I want you to see that that's exactly what God still does today. That might ring of something. Romans chapter 1. You remember how God said that concerning the Gentiles and he also applied it to the Jews in chapter 2 about having to turn them over. Romans chapter 1 verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Notice here's the first time he says it. Therefore, God gave them up in the loss of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, notice the second time, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And likewise, men and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing acts shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, notice it the third time God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done and earlier. As he led into all that he said here 's the problem and god 's wrath is revealed against that kind of activity that God is going to turn you over he 's going to allow you to do what you want to do if you want to 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 follow your lusts and follow your own desires god 's not going to stop you. The only thing you need to realize is the wrath of God rests against you, and that 's the, the the point that Paul was making there is is god 's not going to just stop, jump in and stop it all and Uh, I don't know sometimes we feel like that's the way it ought to be is that you know God's going to just come in and he's going to straighten me out and put me on the right path God God gives us up to our stubbornness what do you want God to do with you (laughs) and what do we want God to do with me if we want to sin God has given us the the free will to decide exactly what we're going to do and if we choose to violate God's law And to remain stubborn, then that's the way it's going to go. And God says, I'm going to let you go down that path. I'm not going to prevent you from doing those things. And that's the the point that He gave here to Israel in this psalm. He says, I'm going to give them over to their stubborn hearts, verse 12, to follow their own counsels. They think that they know what's best for themselves. They think they know which way they ought to go in their lives. They're not seeking after the counsels of God. They're seeking after their own ways. And that's what leads into verses 13 through 16, Uh, We have a call from God. God is saying, it's time to turn. Look at verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That's why I I named this psalm this in the title. Isn't This the second time he said it. Back at the end of verse 8, if you would but listen to me. Now he says it again in verse 13. And my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways. If they would just stop being stubborn. If they just stop living their lives the way that they want to live them and start submitting to me. Notice what he says. Now, I want you to see the contrast. In verse 8 and verse 10, he's reminding them and says, Now, if you just listen, I'd take care of you. I'd give you provisions. You'd be blessed. You'd have prosperity. You would do well. Now, in verse 13, when he says this, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in their ways. Notice what he says he'd do, verse 14. I would soon subdue their enemies, and I would turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. The first point he makes is, I would take care of your enemies. And this, again, sets a very good backdrop to the Babylonian problem that Israel would have been facing And he'd say, if you would just turn, if you'd repent, if you would give your heart back to me, look at what I would do. I would take care of these nations. I'd take care of these these enemies that are trying to destroy you. Repent, come back, return to me, and I'll be willing to take care of them. In verse 16, one of the very beautiful pictures, he'd feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. He says, look at how I'd take care of you. I read that. It seems like a, a, a simplistic psalm, and I guess in a lot of ways it is, but I want us to think about the the straightforward, obvious application of, uh, of what God wants us to consider. And, uh, I don't know why my screen's throwing them all at once, so I'll just go with that. First, the first thing to think about is what, what, what here God was trying to get them to understand. Do you and I listen to God? Think about it with the, with the children of Israel for a minute. They thought they listened to God. Why? Because they were in a covenant relationship with God. They were the sons of Abraham. They were in this privileged position. They'd been given a covenant. And, and they weren't listening to God by any means. Their actions showed uh, that they weren't following after God. They were not listening to God. As God said, they were having stubborn hearts. They're doing whatever they want to do, following after their own ways. And yet if you asked them, I think you'd probably say, so, oh yeah, we listen to God. We're the children of God. He wants us to separate that and realize that we can think that we are children of God, but we're really not listening to God's commands. We can say within our hearts and our minds, you know what, oh, I listen to God. You know, I'm here, right, for crying out loud. What do you expect of me? But are we really listening to God's commands? And that's what, what God began with in his first point is saying, by listening, what I mean is you're, you're submitting, you're obeying my commands. You're going to change your life and do the things that I've asked you to do. And that's what he points out there in verses 9 and 10. He talks about there being no other strange God. Boy, we have a lot of gods that we follow today. And, uh, you know, it would probably be useful uh, if we had a physical idol so we could recognize it more clearly. But uh, there are more mental idols, it seems. We have... We have the idol of success, and we have the idol of prosperity, the idol of wealth, and uh, the idol of comfort, I think, is really our biggest idol of all. Uh, We have idols that we follow. We have these gods that we place of great importance in our lives and that we have to have these X, Y, and Z things happen. I have to have my comfort and ease. I have to have a certain degree of wealth. I have to have uh, my my prosperity and my, my material possessions. I have to have these things. We have gods. And I can see God saying these very words to Christians in America. Set aside the foreign and strange gods. Listen to me. I know you think you're listening, but you're not because you follow after these other things. And we need to be careful that we do not place these other things in front of uh, the most important serving God. And Caleb was such a great picture of that that we looked at this morning. To, to set aside... Comfort, ease, you know, the things that that make us feel good inside. You put that all aside and you serve God. And that's what what here uh, God, and I believe Asaph, is calling upon the congregation to do. Remember all the mighty acts of God in the exodus and delivering and make that lead you to serve God for us. Remember the mighty acts of God of delivering us from the slavery of sin and the conquest over Satan. And make that lead you to serve God. And I think that's the the first point. The second is there is to recognize the benefits of submission. <laughs> I, I like how God God words it. You know, God doesn't always try to scare us about the about the wrath to come. He, he had to do that in Romans well, one. He says the wrath of God comes against all kinds of ungodliness, and went on to talk about that and how God had to give them up. And we need a reminder of that, that we've got the hellfire that is awaiting those who choose not to serve and submit to God. But in Psalm 81, he reminds us of the positive, And we need to remember that as well, that there are benefits to submitting to God's will. Uh, I, I hope that you don't let too much of what we did in 2006 slip away. We did a tremendously long series on having the good life now, which was all about the Proverbs of how if you submit, look at all the good things that God will be doing for you. Look at how that benefits your life right here, right now. Not only in the afterlife and being in eternal life with God, absolutely, but that there are positive benefits right here, right now. And that's what God was doing in this when he would use this picture in verse 16. I'd feed you with the finest of wheat. God said, I'd take care of you. If you'd submit, I'd take care of you. You wouldn't have to worry about these nations. You wouldn't have to worry about these enemies coming up against you. You wouldn't have to worry about these famines. God was wanting to bless the nation of Israel. And they couldn't understand that. And I put up there a New Testament passage. That that, that hasn't changed. That God will supply our needs according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus to take care of us. He doesn't say he'll give us a Ferrari, but he'll take care of us. He'll give us the things that we need. And that's all God has promised from the very beginning to the nation of Israel. I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about these things in this world. You don't have to worry about food and shelter and clothing. You don't have to worry about that, all that nonsense. Let God take care of you. And that is the, the, the promise that is being given. But also, the third thing on there is to learn the lesson of Israel. Even though uh, it's not pointed out, I think it's implicit to the, the whole reason The Psalms exist, and the whole reason a lot of the stories of the Old Testament exist is to look at Israel's history. A nation that really was nothing, was in slavery to Egypt, was just this small group that began with only 70 people, turned into this great flourishing nation by the grace of God and created to be a great power under the the, uh, reign of David and the reign of Solomon and dwindled it all the way back down into nothing again, such that it was inferior to nations like Babylon, nations like Persia, Greece, Rome, never to be a power again. Learn the lesson. Look at what God can do in your life, and look at how God can take it all away. When the people obeyed, things were great. This is one of the great things that we see in the story of Joshua, as we've been doing on Sunday morning, is look at what's going on. When the people are doing what's right... God is wiping out cities and, and, and nations. They're hardly having to do anything. They're walking around a city seven times and it's just, you know, there you go. It's like, you must be kidding. They're making it, God's making it easy for you. But when they disobeyed, what happened? Well, they got run off by another city. They had to go t- hightail it all the way back to Gilgal. Disaster for disobedience. And we forget it. We forget that disaster comes upon our lives when we disobey Sin will cause us problems. It's the message of the Proverbs. We try to do what's right, that the general blessings of God will come upon us. But when we choose to rebel, we ignore God, difficulties are going to happen. And this, we are left with this picture of what he says here in Psalm 81. He said it three times in Romans 1. God turns us over. That's a frightening picture. You think about what that means that God turns you over He gave them up. I mean I don't like that that concept. you think about God says, you know what what am I going to do with you It's like the incorrigible child uh, like a surrogate family to me, and I love them so much out of San Diego. Uh, they had a daughter that you, you couldn't get her to do anything they said. <laughs> And that's so that when she was 16 or 17, they had to emancipate her to that bad off. Now, parents, you know how bad you have to have a child be that you finally get to the point where you say, I got to legally cut ties because she was destroying high schools and they were being legally responsible. And that was, I think, the idea is you give them up. I can't stop them. I'm telling them what to do. I'm trying to point them down the right path. They refuse. I give them over. So you want that God to do that with you? can't get them to do what's right. I keep telling them. I've given them my word. I keep saying, here's what you need to do. And finally, God says, I give you over. I give up. There you go. Go do what you want to do. I'm no longer held responsible for your actions. That's frightening. Uh, and I dare say that would be a sad statement we get on the day of judgment and God say, you know, I had to give up on you because I had to turn you over to your own stubbornness. In your own heart, you would refuse." refused to to do what I'd ask you to do. You refused to obey the covenant. That's the picture that happened here. It led to the destruction of Israel. It led to their demise. And such that God said, I would would not be with them anymore. He removed His presence from them. He destroyed the nation and just simply said, one day the Savior's going to come and He'll take care of sins. And we need to be mindful of where we stand with God. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be the stubborn ones who continue to resist and continue to try to push our own way rather than submitting to God. So I think it's a great lesson. And the, really the final point I want to leave you with is, is the, the cry of God, oh, that my people would listen to me. Are we listening? The only one way to listen. It's not going to be to go in your closet and try to hear any whispers. It's by listening to the Word of God. You have to spend time in God's Word. Get to know it for yourself and do the things that God has said. And our lesson this very night is to encourage you to do that very thing. Will you please think about your life? Think about your situation. Listen to God. He's trying to save you. He's trying to deliver you from the wrath to come. Obey Him with all of your heart. Listen to the things that He has to say. and The benefits will be there. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. He take care of you if you just simply trust Him. Sacrifice, submit. If you are ready to do that, you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Wash your sins away. Walk in newness of life. Won't you do that right now while we stand and all